welcome to this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. I am your host, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Marsha Montenegro. For those of you who have followed the show for some time, you know I enjoy having Marsha on the show with me. She is the head of Christian Answers for the New Age, and she provides resources, articles, and gives talks and speaks on various radio shows and podcasts about the dangers of the subtleties of the New Age that has crept into the church and for you to be aware and on your guard. If you want to find out more about Marsha's ministry, and it is a full-time ministry, and if you want to donate to a worthy cause, simply go to ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org. Again, ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org. Today, we're going to be talking about something I think most of us are familiar with, horoscopes and yoga. On a first glance, when you hear these two together, some of you are going to have different responses. Some people say, oh, I love to read my horoscope in the morning. It helps me to prepare my day. Others may go, I don't think horoscopes are that big of a deal. And still others go, why would I want to read about horoscopes? And on the other side, we have yoga. Many, many people, Christians included, do yoga. But what is yoga really all about? Is it something Christians should do? What's the origin of yoga? What's going on with horoscopes? Why is it such a big deal to you and Marsha to even talk about it? Well, we'll get to those questions and so much more in our discussion today. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce Marsha Montenegro to you. Marsha, how are you doing today? Hi, Parker. I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to be chatting with you again, for sure. I'm so glad to have you with me as well. It's been a minute since you've been on, and so I said I have to have you on. I want to have you on every quarter if possible, but time does not always allow us to have that opportunity. So if I can have you on once or twice a year, I consider myself fortunate and blessed because you have given me so many insights. You've helped me out in my own spiritual walk. You've really peeled back the veil on the subtleties of the new age and how it creeps into the church. There's so much that you do, and you do that with your ministry, Christian Answers for the New Age. And I want to give our listeners an opportunity to know more about your ministry. So go ahead and tell us about Christian Answers for the New Age. Okay. Thanks so much, Parker. Uh, yes, this is a full-time ministry. I actually operate as a missionary. My mission agency is Fellowship International Mission in Allentown, Pennsylvania, although I live in Northern Virginia, near Washington, D.C. I have been doing this full-time since 1998. That makes me sound old, (laughs) (laughs) although I'm actually quite young, (laughs) and young in my mind anyway. And I was doing it part-time before that. I was working at regular jobs and then speaking at conferences speaking at churches, you know, on the weekends, writing. At that time, of course, I I didn't even have, when I started off part-time, 1994, there was no internet. So I was writing things up and then going to Kinko's and printing them out or getting them copied. That's how I was doing it, really old, the old-fashioned way, and then taking those handouts to churches, et cetera. So it started quite a while ago, and the Lord uh, called me to full-time ministry 
I address the issues of the new age and the occult, and the two main purposes of the ministry are to educate Christians on the new age, what it is, how to respond to it, how to discern it, and also maybe how to talk to others about it. And then the other purpose is to reach out to those who are in the new age and the occult and attempt to share Christ with them in some way. So the ministry is about both of those things, which are really quite different, but very compatible. As you've gone on in your ministry, you've seen a greater need for the type of ministry that you provide as more things involved in the new age creep into the church. Isn't that correct? Yes, that's very true. I started noticing things as a new believer, but you know, it was kind of in the culture. And so I saw these things mostly in the culture for the first few years. But then I began noticing them in the church and people would be liking things or saying things that were things that the New Agers like that were not things that are not valid. You know, I don't mean New Agers and Christians can't like the same thing. You know, they may like the same movie. They may like the same perfume. I mean, that doesn't matter. That's a neutral thing. But remedies or ideas that were clearly not compatible with Christianity, I was seeing Christians supporting them or practicing them. And I have to say that initially, I was so naive, I was really shocked. And, you know, I wanted, I restrained myself, but I wanted sometimes to just say, what in the heck are you thinking? (laughs) I just was so shocked. Sometimes I was almost speechless. And, you know, I had to get through that. I had to get through that phase and come to terms with the fact that, yes, there were Christians who were being deceived by the very same things I had believed in as a New Ager. And once I got through that, you know, then I could deal with it better. But I still sometimes even now am somewhat shocked at some of the things I see in here. But the Lord has been very gracious and has worked on me a lot to be more patient. And to remember, there's many Bible verses, you know, teaching others with gentleness to be patient with others. So I'm learning, too. And it's interesting because you see it and it's clear as day, but you have been familiar with it. Others may not have been familiar with it. Like, for example, we're going to be touching on horoscopes and yoga. And both of these subjects can be done in four-hour increments. So we don't have that kind of time today. But I want to talk about horoscopes. And I want to talk about yoga because so many Christians depend on these things in their daily lives. One is for guidance. One is for balance, for the lack of a better term. And when it comes to these two, people are going to say you're making too much out of nothing. It is not that big of a deal. However, when you look at the history of yoga, particularly, you find out that it is definitely entrenched into the religion of the Eastern mindset. So we're talking about Hinduism, Buddhism, things of that nature. When you look at horoscopes, you're looking at using stars, constellations, and nighttime movements of celestial objects to tell you how you guide your life. I can remember, Marsha, and you remarked on my post when I mentioned it, that there had been found a 13th sign or something. I don't know what, I can't remember what it was called. And I had put on my Facebook about the constellations and you were like, someone said the constellations could be used to depict the gospel or something like that. And so you, in your kind way, you just said, no, that's not true, whatever. And some of the people, when they found out about this 13th horoscope or whatever it was, and I don't know what it was called, 
they were like, oh my gosh, my life is ruined. <laughs> and so now they had to shift all the birthdays because of this new constellation. And people who were thinking they were a Gemini found out they weren't a Gemini. And it was really wreaking havoc on people's lives. And all I could say was, thank the Lord, I trust in his unchanging hand and not the changing constellations. So it's kind of amusing for me because people were really affected by this, but there is a sobering note to this topic when it comes to horoscopes. Yes, actually, of course, as Christians, we should look at it through scripture. First of all, it does God address this issue? And secondly, if he does, what does he say about it? And that should be our starting point, no matter what may be going on with changes in the constellations or how accurate is the birth chart, et cetera. And actually, it is true the dates have moved. Now, I don't think it's because of the 13th. I remember that 13th thing, and I can't remember too much about it. But <laughs> now that you mentioned it, I remember it. Um, and that does change things. But it is also true that there has been a shift in the orientation of the North Pole towards the constellations such that the dates that are given for the 12 zodiac signs that you see in most newspapers and magazines are no longer accurate. So actually, you may be the sign before the one you think you are. So you may think, oh, I am, uh, I'm a Leo, but you actually may be a Cancer. And that could really destroy someone's life. And I can't imagine living my life in that type of turmoil where all of a sudden my whole identity has changed because now I'm a Cancer and I was a Leo or whatever it is. And I grew up not a disdain or anything, but I just grew up ignoring it. But there are other people who really have used horoscopes to determine the path of their lives from going to work what job they should get to, the type of relationships they should involve themselves. There was even a book, I can't remember the title, where how do you interact with your child if you're, let's say, a Virgo and your child is an Aries. There are all sorts of things that the horoscopes were telling people how to live. So we're just talking about it, but let's go ahead and delve into the topic. What should we first consider when we're talking about horoscopes, Marsha? Okay, there's a couple of things I want to say just to clarify what we are talking about because the word horoscope is often used inaccurately. First of all, let me say astrology and astronomy are two different things. Astronomy is a scientific study of space and the heavenly bodies. So they're looking at physical data is what they're doing. They're not giving a meaning to anything. You know, they're not saying, oh, yeah, there's Venus, the planet of relationships. <laughs> they're saying, oh, there's Venus. It's so many miles from the Earth, etc. So that's astronomy. Astrology uses some of the data that is used by astronomers, but also believes there is a meaning to each planet, a meaning to the 12 zodiac signs, and a meaning to how they interact with each other, especially in a chart, which is a chart can be made based on any time and any place. You just need two things. You need a time, an exact time and date, and a place to get an accurate chart. So you can do a birth chart for a person. You can do a chart for, let's say, the Empire State Building, if you know when the ground maybe was first broken or something like that. So that's how, that's astrology. So you're looking at it for meaning, to get a message and a meaning. I want to make that distinction right off because I find that sometimes people are still confused with those two 
words. Then you have horoscope. Now, horoscope is technically, it comes from the Greek, and it means watcher of the hour. And it means the kind of things you read in the newspaper and magazines or some books where they'll, where they'll say, oh, 2022, you know, what is 2022 going to be like for you as a Sagittarius? You know, so then you buy this book and it supposedly gives you a guide for the whole year. That is not technically a horoscope, but it kind of falls under the umbrella of popular or commercial astrology, which is different from professional astrology or the more serious spiritual astrology, which I was involved in. So you actually have kind of two different areas there. And the horoscope columns in the newspaper and magazines are definitely under the commercial popular astrology. And actually, a lot of professional astrologers look down on that and don't think it's accurate at all and think it's a big, you know, people just do it. You know, some people who do those columns are not even astrologers. So, (laughs) you know, a lot of astrologers just look down on it as just this popular thing. However, because so many people put some kind of faith in that, it's important to address it, you know, and not dismiss it. So I do want to address that because the horoscope columns are like what I call a watered-down form of astrology. It is still based on the same beliefs that one has if you're doing a more intricate birth chart, for example, like what I did as a professional astrologer. So when you're looking at the horoscope column, even though the uh, newspaper may have a little footnote there that says this is for entertainment purposes only, and the reason they have that there is to prevent lawsuits. That's exactly why they have that there. They don't, they're, in other words, they're saying, we don't guarantee anything in this horoscope column. I would too. I would yeah, too. you can't sue us. You know, if it says you're going to meet, you know, an old friend today and you don't, you cannot sue us. <laughs> exactly. I got it from the paper. Yeah. I got it from the so it's, That's why they have that there. That's a legal protection. Now, The problem with reading this, a lot of people may be thinking, well, if it's a watered down form and, you know, professional astrologers don't even take it seriously, then what's wrong in reading, taking a look at my horoscope column out of curiosity or maybe just for fun? And so my answer to that is this. Number one, it is based on the beliefs that are underlie astrology. It's based on a belief there is a meaning in the position of the moon and the faster moving planets in relation to your birth sign. So usually those horoscope columns are based on the movement of the moon because the moon moves so fast, it changes zodiac signs every two and a half days. And then you have the faster moving planets, Mercury, Venus, and to a certain extent, Mars. Not as fast moving as Venus, but still, those are the more fast moving planets. So Somebody writing the horoscope column, if they know anything about astrology, will be looking at the position of the moon and those planets, and then they'll look at each zodiac sign. So what does that mean for Aries for the next day or for this week? What does that mean for Taurus, et cetera? So they're still using the idea that there's some kind of truth in the planets and zodiac signs as astrology sees it. So right there, you are already kind of buying into it, buying into those ideas. Secondly, the way they are written are often so generic that they're going to apply to a lot of people. 
So it's going to seem accurate. That day, the horoscope for Leo, let's say today, may be not accurate for a lot of Leos reading it, but some people, it will be accurate for them just out of statistical, you know, the statistical probability of it (laughs) because it's so general. You know, it may say you'll get good news at your work today or you'll be missing an old friend or something that a lot of people will relate to. The other thing, there's still two more big, I'm saving the biggest thing for last. The next point I want to make is if you think about it in that horoscope column, there are 12 zodiac signs, right? If you really think about it, does that make any sense that there would be 12 messages for everybody on Earth? You know, because supposedly (laughs) this applies to everybody. If you're born in this sign, it applies to you. In this sign, it applies to you. And that's just like, so there's only 12 messages for the billions of people on Earth. It's just, you know, it just doesn't, it's illogical. Yeah. The biggest thing to, to consider is what God has to say about astrology. And there are several passages about it. Now, many times the way it is put in the Bible does not use the word astrology because actually there is no Hebrew word for astrology because it's a modern word. So what the Hebrew does is it uses terms like dividing up the sky or dividing up the sky or prognosticating by the stars or even worshiping the sun and the moon. And there's a phrase in Amos that is quoted in Acts 7, I believe, the star, they think it means the star of Saturn. So it was representing something about the planet Saturn, which was considered a god. So you have various passages in the Bible that, and all of them denounce astrology. And I think everybody's familiar with the story of Daniel and how the king, you know, had a dream and he called on his wise men at the court to tell him what his dream meant, but he wouldn't tell them the dream. And and they said, well, you know, King, we can't tell you what the dream means unless you tell us the dream. And he says, well, no, no, you should be able to know what I dreamt. (laughs) God gives Daniel the information to go before the king and say, I serve a God who knows what you dreamt and who knows what it means. In other words, these people, these pagan wise men, can't do anything about your dream and don't know what it means, even if they knew what it was. But God is the one who has all wisdom. And so that is a a real put down of the astrologers, because in the book of Daniel, when the word Chaldean is used, that is often an interchangeable word for astrologers. So definitely kings at that time had astrologers as advisors. That's what the Magi were. And God just puts them down. And by the way, because God used the Magi in Matthew 2, just real quickly, does not mean he endorses astrology. He used astrologers, but he didn't use astrology. (laughs) So because that was not astrology following a star for two years that goes and stands over the dwelling place of Jesus. But that's another story. I'm going to try not to get into that. Anyway, so what you have here is a clear denunciation of astrology. I also would say I want everyone to know about Isaiah 47. This is a judgment on Babylon from God as given to Isaiah. And he basically is denouncing Babylon's dependence on the occult arts, on sorcery and on the magic arts and astrology. In the last three or four verses, 
are very clear about the astrologers, how they don't know what's going on, and they're going to be left completely, you know, out in the dark, basically. They can't even warn themselves or warn anybody because they don't really have any wisdom. So Isaiah 47 is a very clear denunciation of astrology at the end. So basically, we don't have any ambiguity in God's word about astrology. It is a form of divination. And if you want to look up divination on one of the Bible apps and see all the places it appears in the Bible, it's quite a few. And every single time it is condemned by God because divination was a way that the people who worship false gods communicated with and got messages from these false gods. That was one of their main things. And so astrology was really a way to get messages from the gods. And it's based on belief in the gods. So you've got a very pagan system here. Astrology is completely based on a pagan system. It is, of course, it uses the planets that God created and the sun and moon. God created the sun and moon, but not to give us, mess, you know, these secret hidden messages. That's not what God did. He gave them to us for light, as it says in Genesis, for light, to mark seasons, to mark times. And he also uses them in some of the apocalyptic messages about the end times, the moon turning to blood and things like that. So it is very, very clear that God makes a very, very strong, takes a strong stand against astrology. So if you're reading a horoscope column and you're taking it lightly, basically it's kind of like you're taking God's word lightly because you're saying, well, I know God denounces this. I'm going to read it anyway, just for fun. So I'm saying that I don't want to condemn people or make them feel like they've committed the worst sin in the world. But I'm saying that because I really want you as a Christian to realize that the next time you want to read a horoscope column, I want you to realize what it's based on, where it comes from, and what God has said about it. And as always, Marsha, I love the way you truncated this massive topic into just a few simple points about horoscopes and why horoscopes are not what we should ever use to get into how we run and live our life. That comes from the Lord himself. Now, if you want to get more information about horoscopes, what I suggest you do is go to ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org and Marsha has a couple of articles that you can read that talks about astrology horoscopes, and even a third-party article that talks about astrology as well. So there is opportunity for you to read about it and see what the Bible says and then why you should not consider these as things to even entertain. Now, for myself, I like what Marcia said about we're not trying to condemn people, but just really consider, do you really need to have it in your life? That's what I really want you to consider. The next thing we're going to shift our conversation is to yoga. And Marsha, you and I both know that probably bigger than horoscopes is yoga. People swear by yoga. And interestingly enough, I can remember when it started to become really hip to do yoga. It was probably for me back in 2003 or 2004, where people were going to yoga classes, going, getting yoga mats and sweatpants and the newer people, the gurus and people who were masters of yoga, if you will, and I may be using the wrong term, they were upset because they were divorcing 
the religious aspects of yoga and trying to make it more as of a exercise just for the body. And they condemned people for saying, oh, it's just yoga to help your physical and health aspirations as opposed to becoming one with the divine. So let's go ahead and talk about yoga for a second, Marsha. Yes, that's another big topic. And really, probably over all the years that I have spoken in places, the number one question has been, what do you think of yoga or is it okay for a Christian to do yoga? (laughs) And I would say number two is probably, can I read my horoscope for fun? I don't know if that was number two all the time, but it often is. But the first one has always been yoga, pretty much. And it is a big topic. So I want to try to kind of summarize some things with it. I do want to mention first, I have six articles on yoga on my website. Actually, I think it's seven. One of them is on a blog of Midwest Christian Outreach, but there's a link to it. And that is actually my latest article. It's called The Basic Spirituality of Yoga. And so yoga is a complicated topic because when you look at people doing it, it looks kind of like they're doing an exercise. Uh, like they're making certain movements with their bodies that has a physical purpose. And that's how it appears. And that's how a lot of people may teach it. Some people may teach it that way. And people who do it often think of it as just an exercise. But the movements of the body are very much designed for certain purposes because these particular movements are based, go way, way back, and are based on some ancient teachings that are a part of the bigger picture of yoga. Yoga is actually a broad umbrella term, and there are many different types of yoga. There's karmic yoga, there's raja yoga, and there's the hatha yoga, bhakti yoga. Hatha yoga is what we're talking about, which is the one that uses the body. And hatha yoga is basically about disciplining the body for the more advanced practices and the more advanced meditative states of yoga. Because yoga always, like all Eastern religions, Hinduism has a big emphasis on doing what they call meditation, which actually is a way of, they say, going beyond the mind. Because in Hinduism, they believe that the material world and the spiritual world are very separated, and the material world is a barrier to spiritual understanding and spiritual insight and spiritual progression in your life. So you have to do something about this material barrier. And since the mind is considered part of your body and is your body is part of the material world, it's a barrier. Your mind is a barrier to spiritual advancement. So you have to suspend the mind and you have to suspend the thinking process. This is the basis for all Eastern meditation, including Buddhist meditation. They have the same view. And so that you can think about that in terms of the topic of meditation and because it does relate to this. So when you're doing yoga, the way yoga is taught, classic yoga, is that you are still and you breathe a certain way, usually very slowly, and you're in a certain position. And this is partly to induce a meditative state. And you can find sites from yoga teachers and 
on Hinduism sites that are up online, and they will say that the purpose is to help induce a meditative state. So that's what all of this is about. And so it's to make the mind more able to do these meditative states that they want you to do down the line. So yoga is always a progression. You don't just go and do certain movements and that's the end. You're going to build on that and continue down the road and, you know, get more and more advanced because it has a goal and the goal is spiritual. The goal is that eventually through doing these postures and holding them a certain way and moving a certain way and breathing a certain way that you are spiritually advancing. And by the way, the breathing that's done with the movements is called pranayama. And the belief in that is that you are spiritually cleansing yourself through that breathing. Yoga is actually based on this very intricate, complex spirituality. It's one of the most complex things I've ever seen. I got a book, I think last year or earlier this year, actually called The Roots of Yoga. It's written by two scholars who are, they're scholars on yoga and on the history of yoga. It's an Oxford book. It's a secular book. And what they did in this book was they gathered all these different documents that talk about yoga going way, way back to even, I think, around maybe the second century. I'm not sure. Can't remember, but pretty far back. And they put in excerpts from these documents, translated them and put them in the book. And the book is very, it's over 500 pages. <laughs> I've read about two thirds of it, but I have to stop. <laughs> oh my, we definitely know <laughs> that they did their research. <laughs> oh yeah, these men are definitely, they're experts. And I have told people, if you really want to know what yoga is about, you, you don't have to read the whole book. If you're willing to spend a few dollars, you can buy the book. And I just say, re go in and kind of turn here and there, you know, pass the introduction, start reading some of the excerpts from these documents, you know, maybe read from five or 10 documents or something. And what I actually did a post on this on Facebook, and I said, I think after you read this, if you're doing yoga, you won't want to do it anymore if you're a Christian. It goes back to being based on actual belief in the deities in the body. And so there were different gods in your body that you could access through this yoga. And you, also the fluids of the body are very important in Hatha yoga. And I won't say more than that because it gets into a risque territory. <laughs> so. I'm pretty sure because I remember contacting you about a yoga I had never heard of before. And I said, well, you know about a lot of your different yogas, you know, and you were like, not that many. There's so many different types of yoga and they tend constantly evolve over time to different things. And one of the things about yoga that really impressed me that really, not that I was ever considering doing yoga, but what really impressed me is when you said, why do you need a technique to get to God? You don't need a technique. That's almost as if you have to do magic tricks to get to God. Well, if you just stand on your head, breathe in deeply and hold that for five minutes, God will come to you. And it's not that simple. When Peter was about to drown, he said, Lord, save me. <laughs> it was that simple. If he had tried to get into position, he would have drowned, <laughs> drowned by then, you know. So I like that you had used that very simple example of why you, we should be wary of doing yoga. And one of the things about yoga that I would love for you to talk about is Christians say, I don't have to focus on the Eastern gods and deities about yoga. I'm focusing on the Lord. 
I may do yoga while I'm listening to a gospel song or praise and worship song. What would you say to that? Yes, that does bring up the issue of Christian yoga or just doing yoga as a Christian and ignoring any of the the Eastern or the Hindu aspects of it. But the problem is, is that the very movements themselves honor either Hindu deities or the heroes of some of the Hindu sacred texts. Uh, these are heroes who often interact with the Hindu gods. And so some, I think the warrior pose is one of them that honors, honors one of the Hindu heroes. I can't remember his name. But these heroes are heroes partly because they're favored by the Hindu gods or by a Hindu god. It's all very much involved and interwoven with the Hindu gods. So the movements themselves have something to do with the Hindu gods. The breathing is considered a spiritual practice. In other words, yoga is not done as an exercise. The purpose of it is not to make you more limber. It's not to make you more flexible or to make you more relaxed or to make you stronger. Those, that is only in a limited way to enable you to do advanced states of meditation. So the purpose isn't some kind of health, body health thing. It's a spiritual purpose. And it is a, actually, I consider Hatha Yoga to be a form of Hindu worship because, and, and, and here we, you know, we have to think about the word worship in a broader sense. Christians usually think of it as standing in a church singing. Or, you know, maybe the whole the whole service on Sunday morning is, is when you worship God. And they think, well, you know, I'm not doing that when I'm doing yoga. I'm not singing to the gods or, you know, I'm not listening to some kind of message like I listen to a sermon. But the word worship and, and just the plain meaning of it is honoring some kind of being or deity as superior, as a godlike figure. And that's what Hatha Yoga does. It honors these Hindu gods. It is a form of worship. It's considered part of the path in a spiritual progression in Hinduism and in the New Age, because the New Age very much adopted yoga and added some, you know, Western flourishes to it. <laughs> that's what the New Age does. And you have basically a religious system. So if you don't even want to think of yoga as a form of worship, then it is definitely part of a religious system. And so you cannot take that and just say, well, I'm just going to use it. I mean, you can, you know, say, okay, I'm just going to use it as exercise or I'm going to use it to relax or I'm going to use it to strengthen my leg muscles or whatever. But here's the question I have, if that's what you're saying. My question is, isn't there something else you can do to do those things? Isn't there something else you can do to strengthen your leg muscles, to make yourself more flexible, to relax, etc.? Yes, of course. There's like a lot of things you can do besides yoga if that is your purpose. So if those are your purposes, then you don't need to do yoga. So why are you choosing to do yoga? And, you know, for me, a lot of times I, I can't help but thinking that as yoga got more popular in the culture, that of, this is what's been happening with the church. As things get more popular in the culture, people in the church start doing them. This is a very bad sign, of course, because we're doing what the world does. But this is what's happening today. This is what I've noticed. And this is how the New Age gets into the church. Christians start adopting things in the culture because they're appealing or they seem to work, or they seem successful, or they're promoted a certain way, 
or you think that is compatible with Christianity. So you start adopting things from the world. And this is how yoga got into the church. And it was marketed very, very well. It was marketed in such a way that yoga was identified with youth, with strength, with health, and with beauty. Those four things are part of all the yoga images. For years, I cut out yoga images from magazines. (laughs) I kid you not. And I put them in this notebook. I had a yoga notebook that I took to churches. (laughs) And when I talked to Christians about yoga, I would take it out and flip through it. And I'd say, look at pictures. Most of them were women. A few were of men doing yoga. They were very attractive. Most of them were young. But even if they weren't young, they were attractive. They were slim, like a model. They looked healthy. And then I noticed ads for yoga being done in conjunction with things like crackers, You know, I think Wheat Thins is the company that had a picture of a woman doing yoga when they were promoting their Wheat Thin product in different magazines that I saw. So that was the association with health. So it became this image that was associated with these very positive things and people bought into it. They were influenced by it and believed it. Now, for people in the world to be influenced buy into it. I can understand. But Christians need to stop and think first. We're supposed to stop and think. We're supposed to be discerning. Is yoga really going to make you beautiful, young, healthy, and strong? It's going to make everybody (laughs) beautiful, young, healthy, and strong. No, of course not. This is a marketing campaign. It's a marketing strategy that worked. And what we have to do is pull the curtain aside and see what yoga is really made of. And if you look at it, it's very, very ugly. It's extremely ugly. It's a lot of false gods. It's a lot of ascetics. Ascetics are people who deny themselves food and even water and go for you know a long time without eating. And you can look at some of the so-called holy men in India, and they're emaciated. And this is all part of yoga, too. Yoga, like I said, is a bigger umbrella term. This is a practice, a spiritual practice. And like I say, if you really look at what it is, it is very, very ugly. And it is offensive to the Lord because it is rooted in a spirituality completely opposed to the true living God and opposed to Christ. And we really just scratched the surface of yoga and horoscopes, but Hopefully, this is giving you enough information for you to go to ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org and read some of the articles that Marsha has crafted for you to understand these things. I wanted to add really quickly, Marsha, when you mentioned about the young, healthy, slim look that Yoko presented, what then happened a few years ago, there was an African-American woman who was big like me doing yoga. And imagine you see someone who's big like you stretching her leg up over her head. Right. And so that begins to appeal to even more masses that begins to appeal to more people who are getting drawn into yoga. And so it begins to the marketing change now. So now it's other people who don't look slim doing it, too. So it's very interesting how that works. So hopefully we give you a lot of food for thought here as we talked about horoscopes and yoga. And I hope you take Marsha and my words to heart. We're not trying to condemn anyone. But we do hope that as you consider these words, that you ask the Lord, what does he want you to do, not the stars? And if you want to get closer to God, do you pray or do you do yoga? See, that's what I want you to consider. 
So, Marcia, in the few moments that we have left, I want you to go ahead and just pray for us today. Okay, sure. Thanks for having me on, Parker. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we have had to discuss these two important topics that are so popular in our culture today. And we pray that the information given would not make anyone feel condemned or feel that they have done something they can't be forgiven of. We pray instead, Lord, that you would use the information in your way for the Holy Spirit to speak to those who are in these situations and are wondering what to do and are seeking wisdom from you, Lord. We pray that they would remember that you are a loving God and a forgiving God and that no matter what anybody has done, whether it's yoga, astrology, or anything else, that we can come to you for forgiveness through Christ. And so we just pray, Lord, that the information is used in that way and in the way that you want it used. And I pray for all those listening and have heard this program, Lord, just to turn to your word and seek your wisdom. You know, not my wisdom, which I hardly have any of, I'm sure, um, or Parker's wisdom. But Lord, we need your wisdom. That is what we live on. That is our daily bread. And thank you for what you have given us, Lord, in your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Marsha, thank you. Thank you for being with me on the show today. Really enjoyed having you. And to our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. And God bless.